0: You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders.
1: Second down and two, the handoff to Penny. At the 15, at the 10, at the 5, he's in! Touchdown, Seahawks!
0: Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday.
1: First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake at Stafford. Gonna stop, gonna look, gets hit, goes down! Back in midfield! Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor!
0: Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller.
2: Well, the Seahawks are looking ahead to a matchup against Atlanta. John Boyle and I helping you get ready for Sunday's game. And John, there's so many different things to talk about coming off of last week against the 49ers. Are you at all surprised by the Seahawks record or by kind of where things are after a couple of weeks? There's enough unknown
0: about this team that I don't think a one-on-one one start is at all surprising, you know, Would I predict it looked exactly like it did? Maybe not. I thought they'd have been, you know, as as tough as they played the 49ers over the years and as well as they've done down there, I might've thought they'd have had a better showing down in Santa Clara. But yeah, I mean, one and one, I think is a decent start for this team who's still figuring a lot of things out and, you know, has a lot of room to grow.
2: I would also say this week feels different. It maybe feels better to me personally, because finally the NFL routine that I'm used to yes. is like taking shape this week. I kind of forgot about that. Although not really our, our workload gets shifted around with a long week and then a short week. But I thought Pete brought up a really good point this week, John, about just kind of getting into the flow and the rhythm and the routine of things again.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's a little tough on them. You know, they, they always say, you know, you got to take what's in front of you and you can't make excuses and all that but it is tough when you play on a monday and it's not just the physical part of it but it just breaks the routines you're used to or even the monday night opener even though they had extra time to prepare for that and it served them well it's still kind of just awkward in terms of your days are all out of whack so yeah it's nice to fall into this you know for they play sunday 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 for you know weeks and weeks in a row and that's really helpful i think to just find your rhythm, get in the routine of how you like to do things, and that can help you play your best football.
2: It also helps me know what day of the week it is. Well, that it's driving me crazy that I can't figure out what day of the week it is because we keep playing on a different schedule. When we talk about what the Seahawks have done so far, certainly a bright spot has been Gino in being able to complete eighty percent of his passes for the first two games of this season. You go back to last year; it's been three straight where he's completed eighty percent or more of his passes. No quarterback in NFL history has ever done that. But for all the efficiency, there hasn't been enough offense to show for. And Pete Carroll, well, he addressed that and kind of gave us a preview of what's to come.
1: I'm not going to wait for you know three, four more weeks to figure out what Gino's looking like. I think he looks really good. I'm convinced that he, what he's done in practice and what we've seen, he's carried to the games. The game's not too big. He's very comfortable in the games. He's very poised about stuff, and he's accurate as heck. And, and uh, there's no reason to be worried about him at all. That's really the statement I was making. I'm, I feel better about it, and, and I know the coaches do. And uh, you know, we've not played many games where guys complete 80% of their passes for a couple of weeks. Nobody has, you know. So. Uh, we're just going to just going to go and and see if we can get this thing rolling at a better clip than we have.
0: I think a lot of us maybe found it interesting when Pete Carroll brought that up, because I think a lot of people would have assumed his first comment would be you need to run the ball better, which they do. And he knows that, but I think he also recognizes they got to throw some teams out of these heavy boxes that are making it hard to run the ball. And if your quarterback's completing 80% of his passes time to let him, you know, throw a little more downfield because we haven't seen a lot of those shots and He's been, you know, really good at the ball. There was the one interception in San Francisco that he threw, although as Pete Carroll noted, one of the receivers didn't run the route right, which probably means, you know, somebody should have been occupying one of the safeties involved in that interception. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's been so clean, you know, so accurate. Let's let him, you know, throw it around a little more, not necessarily more frequent, but take more shots.
2: No, see, this is what I was trying to figure out because I can picture this going a lot of different ways. You mentioned those shots downfield, you know, DK Metcalf hasn't been very involved in this. At least it doesn't look like it based on final numbers. We saw him go to Tyler Lockett a lot, did not see him hit the tight ends very much last game. So what are we really talking about here? Are we talking about intermediate stuff or does, is the box too full for that? Or are we looking at shots downfield, like truly downfield 25 plus yards?
0: I mean, I think it's going to depend on what the Falcons are doing. I, I think the idea in general is just to get some more of the intermediate too long passes. However, they're available. I mean, if you look at the first two games, they've been seeing a lot of the deep, you know, too high safety looks, teams trying to take DK away. And if they're doing that, look, you're not going to force a 40 yard pass downfield and double coverage. But if they're playing that far off and giving DK all this attention, then yeah, work those tight ends for those 15 to 25 yard intermediate gains. So I don't think it's necessarily going in the game saying we need to hit this particular pass play. It's just finding ways to get the ball down the field and maybe, you know, again, open up their running game a little bit that way.
2: You talk about this Falcons team and what they might do. It looks like different if you look at the overall numbers versus game by game, because the Falcons lost against the Rams last week. And and I guess you would say maybe that's no surprise as the Falcons are kind of in the same position that Seattle's in, right? You bring in a quarterback who has been a backup for a long time, who's now the starter. You've got a system where you want to run the ball and play good defense. But if you go and you look at the New Orleans game, week one for them looks very different than week two. But John, here's what's been very consistent going back to your point. That defense has been good. They have forced four takeaways through two games. Now they had four sacks in week one. One, they were not as effective getting to Matt ha- Matt back. Matthew Stafford. Where did that come from, Matthew Stafford in week two? But that's not surprising given how that offense functions. Do we know yet what to expect? Quite honestly, from any team as we head into week three.
0: Uh, you know, I, I'm going to go to what DK Metcalf said in his press conference from a conversation he had with Bobby Wagner his rookie year, which was you know, teams don't really show who they are until about week eight or so. And I think that's especially true when what you're talking about both these teams, a lot of newness, a lot of change, new quarterbacks, in the Seahawks case, new defensive system. So no, I, you know, there's certain things you can look at and maybe try to take some educated guesses of what it'll look like, but I really don't think we're going to know, you know, being around the Seahawks, so knowing them more specifically, I don't think we're truly going to know what either this offense or defense is for, you know, at least another month.
2: Well, and I am curious to see how Atlanta responds this week because they made what I think is a very interesting choice. We'll talk about that after some words from our sponsor, Delta Airlines.
0: The best stories aren't the ones you're told. They're the ones you live, meeting people in person, facing challenges face-to-face, getting out of your hometown and your comfort zone. Delta knows how important it is to see a different point of view from a different point of view. So for those who want their own story to tell, Delta Airlines has a world full of places to start. Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks.
2: So the Atlanta Falcons arrived at the airport in Seattle the same time the Seahawks arrived back from San Francisco on Sunday. John Boyle, this is a curious choice to me that Atlanta would stay on the West Coast and spend the entire week practicing in Seattle.
0: Yeah, that that was a lot of buses on a tarmac (laughs) at once. I'll tell you what, I think there was like 11 or 12 buses all lined up waiting to leave. That was kind of funny to see. Um, Yeah, you know... (sighs) Look, I think we have a different perspective on travel because we're so isolated, we're so used to it, that like, oh, a five-hour trip, that's not a big deal. I mean, we're literally doing back-to-back yeah. four-plus-hour trips next two games. These East Coast teams aren't as used to the heavy travel, so I think when they do, they kind of make a bigger deal out of it. You know, if you're a young team trying to bond, I guess I see the value in, you know, that you know, extra week together. It's almost like a training camp situation, and I'm sure that's part of what they're doing but you do give up, you know, the comforts of home and your own facility and all that. So, you know, we'll see how it works for them. The Falcons did that when Dan Quinn was a coach, when yeah. they played up here, whatever that was a few years back. So, um, again, I think it's just those teams on the East Coast aren't quite in this middle of the country, aren't quite as used to the big trips. And so they make a little more deal out of it than the West Coast teams that are just used to every road game as far.
2: Yeah, yeah. I look at that and I'm like, yeah, that's just another year of Seahawks travel. Like, welcome to our world. But you mentioned you give up some of those comforts of home. You might have seen Marcus Mariota's comments this week. Of course, he's got familiarity after playing at the University of Oregon, but he did say, look, y- you are out of your routine. This is a little bit of a challenge. And to your point, John, it's about bonding with your teammates. Now they did go and do some fun things in the Pacific Northwest. They've been practicing over at the University of washington they went to lewis mccord uh visited the air force base it during their time during the week so I, I get that but i don't know if this is i don't know that i would want to be introducing more challenges i guess at this point in the season yeah i mean right? like i understand it but also yeah,
0: i think you're just I, weighing the the value of the slight little extra bit of rest of not traveling that much more. And of the team bonding for the long-term benefit of that. And that's hard to measure versus it definitely does take you a little bit out of your team. So yeah, we'll see how it goes for them, but it's, that's the choice they, and a lot of other teams tend to make going east to west.
2: Yep. It is. uh, It is something that they consider that the Seahawks often do not. But here's what Pete Carroll will have to consider this week. The fact that Marcus Mariota is a quarterback and that offense looks different than when it was run by Matt Ryan, because Mariota brings a different skill set to the table, one that Pete Carroll is very familiar with.
1: I've always liked his athleticism and his running ability, and, and, uh, and he's always been able to do a little bit of everything well. You know, he's been able to throw the ball, too. Um, he kind of got mired in, in, in a backup role um, he looks like a starter to me you know he's back at it and he's doing great what you see is that he, he's he's still a real threat to run the football he's really fast and he plays fast and he's and he's uh, got a good attitude about it. he's aggressive with the way he takes off and runs and, and they get vulnerable there but still he is uh, he's making the most of his opportunities I think this the way that they have shown it in the first couple of weeks it really plays to his strengths that's why I say that that uh, coach has done a nice job of transitioning you know from a Different, a totally different makeup of a quarterback, and right immediately it showed up that they were able to take advantage of, of what Marcus can do.
0: I really enjoyed when Pete was asked like about their offense looking different than last year, and he kind of was like, "Well, yeah, Matt Ryan wasn't exactly a threat to run." Which, you know, no, no knock on Matt Ryan; he was great in Atlanta. He won an MVP award there and all that. But it is just funny how different that is, you know, in terms of a system when you have those two quarterbacks. It'll be interesting to see kind of how they do it, but it the Seahawks will have the advantage of they've been preparing for mobile quarterbacks for the last two games. Grant and Trey Lance didn't, you know, unfortunately he didn't play very long in that game because of injury, but that was the, the week of game plan going in. Russell Wilson was a more specific tailored pass rush to try to get him to do certain things as Pete Carroll has spelled out. But again, a mobile quarterback you're preparing for. So every scheme's different, but in terms of just getting guys ready for that threat of a quarterback who can move, that's something they've been doing for the last two weeks.
2: Well, and on the surface, it looks like Atlanta is following through on its desire to run the ball Mm -hmm. through the first couple of weeks, 145 rushing yards, 338 average, I should say average rushing yards, average total yards on offense. You talk about a rushing threat. How about Cordero Patterson, who we have seen as a return guy, as a wide receiver, and now he is a running back. But John, going back to what I said before, this is all very skewed because the numbers against the Saints look very different than they did last last week i'm not i know that they want to run the ball i'm just not sure how this will actually play out
0: yeah and i mean to me that goes back to what we're saying about you know what do you know about teams this early and the numbers can get so skewed cuz one game goes one way the next game goes the next day and all of a sudden you're you're all over the map so uh but they do seem committed to like you said they're trying to run it patterson's a really interesting threat out of the backfield he's you know you go back to his you know peak returning days he's one of the best in the nfl at that so he's an explosive Kind of home run hitter, but you know, are they a team that can just consistently run the ball and get those four or five yards? I don't, you know, we'll see. It's it's just too early to make these judgments about teams.
2: Here is the big angst in Atlanta right now: Why isn't tight end Kyle yeah. Pitts being used more? And he has been used as a blocker. Uh, but think about this: He needs forty-five receiving yards to be third most by a time through the first 20 games of his NFL career. This is going to be game 20. And he has not been used as a pass catcher very much this year. Now, in looking at how Atlanta has used him in the past, it kind of leads me to believe that there's going to be a big game from him this week because of all the outrage. But I, first of all, if he does get the ball, John, how confident are you that tackling will be shored up by Sunday to make that short gains?
0: I mean, that's a huge question for this defense right now. They've, you know, they've done some good things on defense the Seahawks have, but one issue that's kind of been repeating itself going back to the preseason even is they haven't been tackling great in space, those one-on-one tackles, and he is a huge thing I mean, he's, he runs like a receiver. He is so fast. So they're going to have to make sure that, you know, A, they're covering him well, but when he does get the ball, that they're not letting him shed tackles and run in space because he's he, – despite – you know, what the early season numbers show, he's a huge threat to to make things happen.
2: Does the tackling concern you right now? Or is that one of those things you can put in the category of it's early in the season and I'm- you have to have live plays and live games to really shore this up?
0: A little bit of both. I mean, until you fix it, it's concerning because it's going to be hard to win games if you're giving up a lot of extra yards. But does it concern me that we're going to see this for another 15 games? No, I think you know, the, the talent and the coaching staff are too good to let this happen over and over again. Some of it's just guys making plays, but as Pete Carroll talked about on Monday, it's there's some newness to this defense and there's some schematic things that are still getting ironed out. And when you do, it's about getting more guys to the ball. So you have fewer of these one-on-one situations where a guy breaks one tackle and is out for huge gain. So, you get some more of those where, you know, maybe a broken tackle is four more yards instead of 51 yards as Debo Samuel had last week, then that can make a huge difference as well. So I'm confident they'll fix it, but until they do, yeah, it's concerning.
2: Well, and if you got the defense off the field, that would make a difference too. And Pete said, if there was one thing he could fix by Sunday, it would be
1: this. If we just take the penalties out of our play, we gave them—I don't know—there's four, four first downs. I think we gave them. You know, those are huge plays. We're off the field and we're sitting down. Huge, and we don't have to do anything different. You know, and and so we we need to clean. If there was one thing, I would clean that up first. There's other things. There's a lot. There's other things I'm working on, but those were the significant plays. It's like, it's—you know—it's like a forty-yard catch that that didn't happen. You know, and and so um, those are huge field swings and all that. So we have to do better there.
0: Yeah, I mean, those are so crushing when you think you're off the field. I think there's at least two, maybe three of those in the second half would have been three and outs in a game you're trying to get back into and give your offense chances. And look, I'm not saying without those penalties they win on Sunday because, quite frankly, the offense wasn't getting the job done. But you got to get rid of those where you're just giving teams – I mean, Pete Carroll said this before. It's almost like a turnover. You go from, okay, we get a quick stop, they have to punt – and now these long drives, and it's hurting your defense not just because there's more opportunities for the opponent to score, but they're on the field a ton. This was a problem all last year of, you know, the offense ran the fewest plays in the NFL, and the defense had the most. And so far through two weeks, we're seeing that again. So, yeah, they got to they gotta figure out ways. I mean, they're not big, egregious, you know, horrible PI fouls, but there's just a little more contact than the officials want to let them get away with. So they got to find that balance right now.
2: Well, and that's what I was going to say. Right. This is all part of the process for the young guys, because it was guys who were getting penalized, who have not seen a whole lot of time in the NFL. And as Pete said earlier this week, it is one thing to have the officials at practice call it. It's another thing to understand what they're looking for on game day. And I would say this. I, I don't know that I would call them try hard penalties, but they're not they're not mental mistake penalties, yeah. right? This is it's part of the feeling out process. And while I don't particularly like it, uh, it doesn't feel good in the moment. I had a number of people on the sidelines say, hey, wait a minute, take a look at who committed those penalties because it's not going to happen later in the year. Like this is what it feels like to have a young team. It's not going to happen later in the year. So I will take that. Here's what they have managed to do early on. And it should not surprise me because this is what the Seahawks have done for the entire time under Pete Carroll. Red zone efficiency on defense continues to be something that Pete Carroll is proud of.
1: I think it's, uh, we have some background where we've, you know, we've had good success. We know what we're doing and and, uh, what we've added to it with, with the stuff we have with the new, uh, the new look at it um, has been, you know, it's been effective right off the bat right now. People don't know what we're doing, you know, they they have to figure us out. And so we have a little bit of an advantage in that regard.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's something, you know, their opponents are two for nine in terms of scoring touchdowns in the red zone this year, last year, opponents were about 50%, which was, uh, you know, among the league leaders. And it's, you know, it, a lot of that is just mentality of okay you got this drive on us but we're not going to give you that last little bit you always hear players use the term to defend every blade of grass and I I go back to those you know Cam Chancellor Earl Thomas forcing fumbles right before a guy goes into the end zone I mean this team is just so unique in that mentality and I think it just ties to the way Pete Carroll teaches finishing and it has to do with you know, obviously the end of games, but also they've been a good team at the end of seasons and even end of drives as we're talking about this situation. It's just kind of that will and, you know, you just refuse to give in and they've been really good at that.
2: I will also say that Atlanta has not been great at converting in the red zone. They've got some third down issues. They get compounded when they get inside the 20. So that's an interesting matchup to look at before we close it out with things to watch this week. I do want to bring it back around to if you want to get your defense off the field, certainly you can't commit those penalties, but also John, the run game for Seattle needs to get going and DK Metcalf said that this week, you know, we cannot just put the defense back on the field what's the i I don't know if it's the the question is what's the easiest solution there or what's the best decision that will lead to more rushing yards i mean it's
0: whatever's gonna get you fewer third down and long or just fewer third downs period so i i don't think you get the more running attempts by just saying we're gonna run it early and often because if you're getting two three yards those drives stall out so it can be passing early to get those you know second and four, and then third and two situations, things like that, where you're keeping the chains moving. Because it's really right now, it's just staying on the field, sustaining drives to where when you get the total plays at 60 plus, the rushing attempts are going to show up. And that's where I, you know, Rashad Penny, I think, you know, we saw some glimpses of it in week one. He never really had a chance to get going last week, but you give Rashad Penny 16 to 20 carries. I promise you one of those is going to go 30 plus yards. I mean, he's just too talented.
2: Yeah, same thing with Ken Walker, who we saw for the first time last week. And Pete said, look, neither of those guys was on the field long enough to be able to make any sort of judgment. So that's going to take me into the two things we need to see on Sunday for a Seahawks win. I am going to say at least 30 rush attempts, which is a lot. I understand. But if you split them up between those two guys, I want to see at least 30 rushing attempts. And I want to see less than five penalties. I was going to
0: stick with penalties, but I'll be more specific. I I don't really care about the total number of penalties. I want no defensive penalties on third down Ah. that move the chains for the opponent. So, look, if you have an occasional niche start. I know, but (laughs) if you have six or eight penalties, but they're, you know, on first and and 10 turns into first and 15, not great, but you can live with that. But just get rid of those third down. You think you're off the field, and then, oh, there's a flag laying in the middle of the secondary because somebody grabbed a receiver whatever it is uh other side of the ball i, I kind of wanted to go with the running game too but i don't you can do that we you. can
2: highlight the importance of getting the ground game no going. I'm, I'm gonna go with what we've
0: talked about the passing game i want to see five or more explosive passes so Ooh. you know they don't have to be bombs i mean i think people sometimes think of explosive as just chucking at 40 yards downfield which if you can do that great those are super fun we mm-hmm. love those but Pete Carroll, they define an explosive 16-plus pass, 12-plus run. Just give me five of those explosive passes, even if they're all 18 yards. I'll take it. Just get get some chunks. And okay. I, think, I think that will help you get your rushes and rushing yards if you start making teams respect those longer passes.
2: I think that this all works together. I think we laid out a great game plan for the Seahawks and got you up to speed for what to expect on Sunday. We'll be back with you next week to see how everything played out. Thanks for listening.